So yesterday we looked at the two main points, that the Holy Spirit is holy. Um, and uh, that was the first point. The second point was, was the, a very important uh, step, if you like, to knowing God, walking with him, knowing the Holy Spirit, is, is learning how to repent and what repentance looks like. And uh, today we're going to be looking at two other points. But before I do that, I want to give the same introduction I gave as last, as yesterday, which I want to just keep bringing every day, the same introduction to really important things to know. Firstly is this. I think many people are, almost like Daryl said on the first night, familiar with the idea of God the Father, familiar with the idea of his son Jesus. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, wow, is that like someone's phone? No, what was that? That was the seminar next door. Oh, we got okay. So we got some. All right, we got some competition, volume-wise. Okay, I can do. I can shout. That's all right. Um, the first, the first point of introduction is this: is that we can see the Holy Spirit as slightly just a bit like I don't know, overly mysterious or on the edge or a bit of a kind of a bonus. I get the Father and the Son, but I don't understand. Oh, the Holy Spirit just for certain Christians, but I'm not that kind of Christian. Let me just say this: that. Um, I'm making it a bit more simple than it is, but this is true. Fundamentally, the Father is enthroned in heaven. The Son, Jesus, is enthroned at his right hand in heaven. And they have poured out the Holy Spirit on the earth. And so the Holy Spirit comes to us on earth, bringing the presence of the Father and the Son. So if you want to know the Father, you know the Father by, by meeting with the Holy Spirit and by walking with the Holy Spirit. If you want to know Jesus, you know Jesus through walking with and getting to know the Holy Spirit. He brings the reality of the Father and the Son into our lives. Um, some people call him the invisible person of the Trinity in the sense that he's what, what often wanting more than anything else to really point to the Father by helping us know that we are adopted children and assuring us of that in our heart and, and, and revealing and glorifying Jesus. He's, in, in one sense, you could say that he's, 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 his chief purpose is not to point to himself, but to help us understand the Father and the Son. So if you want to know about Jesus, you want to know Jesus closely, walk with him, you want to know the Father and his, his love for you, you need to know the Holy Spirit. He's the one who will help you understand that. So please don't see the Holy Spirit as someone on the side, kind of marginal, kind of on the edge, a bit strange. No, 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 absolutely not. We mustn't do that. He is God. He is God, and he is essential to us walking the Christian life. The second thing to say is this, and this is really, really important when it comes to thinking about knowing the Holy Spirit uh, and enjoying and experiencing his presence is this. The reason why the Holy Spirit will come to you and will dwell in you is because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you do. The Bible teaches that through the life, death, resurrection, and return or ascension of Jesus back into heaven, at that point, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Jesus went up. The Spirit has come down. Why? Because Jesus has accomplished the mission. It's all been done. The price for your sin has been paid for at the cross by Jesus. Sin and death have been defeated at the cross and the resurrection. It has all been done now so that God can reconcile you to him. It's not about have you been good enough. It's not about has your performance been up to par. It's Jesus is glorified so the Spirit has come down. And it's not that we, our state of heart and our attitudes and our approach don't mean anything in this whole thing. They really do. They're really important. But you mustn't fall into the trap of thinking that fundamentally the Spirit comes to those who are good enough. Jesus is our qualification. Do you understand that? It's really important that you get that. Otherwise, your, your, your starting point is wrong and you will go wrong. 
Um, so those are the two things. I'm going to say them every day by way of introduction, and then we're going to get into our teaching point. So teaching point number one. Yesterday I taught you that the Holy Spirit was holy. Today I want to teach you that the Holy Spirit is a spirit. Duh. But what is a spirit? What is a spirit? Well, you are probably much more familiar with spirits than you realize. Why? Because you are an embodied spirit. That's what you are. The Bible talks about an outer man and an inner man. The outer man, the Bible says, is perishing, getting older and decaying and will one day be replaced, if we trust in Christ, with a resurrection body that is suited for heaven. But the inner man, the Bible says, is being renewed day by day. Our spirit man, if you like. So there's, there's this strange thing. Death is a strange thing, isn't it? Death is that moment, I guess, where the spirit uh, departs from the body. And you can still see, if you, in certain cultures, if someone dies, people will go and they will, they will you know, visit the person lying in the casket with the, with the lid off. And there's a sense in which, yes, that's them, but it's not quite them. In a sense, something essential is not there that once was. They're in a man, as the Bible calls it, or they're in a person. Spirit is not as unfamiliar as we might think it is. But I will just say a few things about the Holy Spirit as spirit to help you grasp that and sort of understand that uh, and work with that. Just so that, just to try to demystify, to be honest, in many ways, and just uh, so that it's not unnecessarily, overly, uh, unhelpfully. Um, Mysterious. The Holy Spirit is the eternal spirit. The Bible says God is spirit. God is spirit. His essential nature is spirit, which means he's invisible, which means there's a sense in which with the, with the naked human eye, God is not someone that you can just see in the way that we can see one another. He is invisible. But if you, if you come to the conclusion, therefore, that he is somehow less real, or the spirit realm is less real because we can't see it, you've taken a wrong turn. But if you're living in a materialistic culture, which basically teaches that matter and material things are true reality and invisible things we can't see or touch aren't, then you're going to have a kind of thing going on in your mind where certain things seem really real, but the God stuff is just kind of a bit out there. Whereas the Bible actually, although it teaches that material stuff is good, there's nothing wrong with the material, the physical, it actually says that unseen things are eternal, but the seen things are temporary. And so on one level, if you wanted to be controversial, you could almost argue that there is a reality to the unseen that supersedes the seen. And if you live in certain cultures, or maybe you have friends or family from certain cultures which are much more familiar with the unseen and with the spiritual realm, then you will just connect with this much more easily. If you're from the UK, this is a kind of, it messes with your head a little bit. Because um, it's not something that we're particularly used to or aware of or sensitive to, actually. We're probably often quite dull to spiritual things without even realizing. And God wants to help us with that. Not so that we just become dismissive of physical things at all. God made the whole of creation, as we've just seen, seen and unseen, and said it is all very good. But we do need to become familiar with the realm of the Spirit in order to be able to relate um, to God. The Bible teaches in Hebrews 11, verse 3, it says this. It says... Um, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the seen has been created by the unseen. The invisible God 
through his invisible word has created everything that is seen. And you are being, the Bible says, you are being upheld by this very moment as is the whole of the universe by the powerful word of Jesus that you can't see, but it holds everything together. It's important that you understand the weight of this stuff and the ultimate reality of this, of this stuff. I'll just read to you from 2 Corinthians 4 as well, verse 18. It says this, it says, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so becoming familiar with the realm of the spirit and the unseen is really important because you're becoming familiar with the things that are eternal and the things that issue out from the Lord in that unique way. Now, just say one, a couple more things on spirit and then I'll answer any questions you've got on that or do my best. The first thing is, is that... Um, in the language the, the New Testament is written in, in the Greek language, spirit also means breath, and it also means wind. It's the same word that's used. And so uh, that's quite helpful, actually. It helps us understand some things. So the spirit of God is the breath of God. Do we have a married couple in the room? The couple, yeah. Could you just, I don't want to embarrass you, but if you could just kind of stand up for a moment and be embarrassed. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Uh, and if you could just stand close to one another and, fa- and face each other. And maybe, you, maybe the husband may need to just crouch down a touch there because you're quite tall. <laughs> and maybe just have, just, just have a little chat, but real close. Closer, much closer. To, yeah. And uh, so that you can feel one another's breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. That's a brilliant illustration. Thank you so much for doing that and being willing to do that. If you can feel someone's breath, it means that you are very what to them. The breath, the Spirit of God, the breath of God represents the closeness of God. It's the, it's the nearness of God. The breath of God is the nearness of God. I don't, it's really important you don't begin to separate things out unhelpfully. So you say, God send your Spirit. God's Spirit is the breath of God. When God is close, when God when God's spirit comes, it's the very nearness of God. It's God touching your soul with His closeness. God making His presence known to you. That's what the spirit of God is the the breath of God, the closeness of God. It's a wonderful picture. And then the other the other word, the wind, the the wind of God. It's a it's a, it's a great idea. It's important we don't that we don't over egg it because if we keep talking about the spirit as as the wind of God we can begin to depersonalize him and think about him as impersonal but he is a person we'll look at that in one of our next days we're going to look at one of the teaching points but the, but think about what wind does again invisible and yet the motion of a wind it can it can take you in a certain direction it can propel you forward if there's an athletics contest and the wind is in the runner's favor there are faster times that are um, that are recorded because they're almost they're being moved along by this force the idea idea of the spirit of god is that he comes to direct to bring direction to our lives and he comes to propel us in certain directions not to just say go this way but to help empower us as we do that that we feel the wind of god the wind of filling our sails and and moving us forward if you read books from a few centuries ago where people traveled by um by boat and it was remarkable i I remember reading the story about a very famous preacher he wanted to travel from england to america and they managed to get out of the thames estuary into the ocean and then the wind changed and then the next diary entry says something like this three weeks later (laughs) the wind turned in our favor and off we went you think that's remarkable they just sat there why because they needed the wind to propel them 
And you see, to, to know the Spirit in your life means that the nearness of God comes and He brings direction and He propels and moves you, sometimes violently, normally gently. But sometimes there's a, wow, it's a sense of God powerfully taking you somewhere. But often normally there's just this, uh, just this gentle sense of the hand of God, the breath of God, the, the Spirit of God helping you move in the right direction. It's wonderful. I mean, you think, gosh, this is, that's why the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the helper. He helps us. He helps us know how to walk with God. He helps us know how to obey God. He helps us know, he helps us choose. You, know, you, have, you have situations which are pulling at your heart and he gives guidance and wisdom. And, he, and as you get into the Bible, which is God-breathed, inspired, the Holy Spirit used humans to inspire them to write these things. The Spirit will speak to you through this and it's like you, you get it and you know, I know which way to go and I'm moving in that direction now. This is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. Questions? Make them real. Questions that apply to your life. Make that you can, it can be theological, but you've got to really want to know the answer. Don't just try and trick me. I'm not Andrew Wilson, and I won't know the answer. But I can help you with real questions. The Holy Spirit is a person. Agreed. Okay, sorry. Yes, so I'm going to be um, I'm going to be teaching. I think that's tomorrow that the Holy Spirit is a person. So we'll have about ten minutes on that tomorrow, explaining what that means and what and what that looks like. Okay, it does it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is a human being. It means that the Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he, which is very very important when you think about what a relationship with the Holy Spirit or what knowing the Spirit looks like makes a big difference, whether you're thinking about an it or a he. But we'll delve into that. We'll drill into that one tomorrow. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yes. Do angels have spirits? Angels are spirits. Okay? Angels are spirits. Angels are not eternal. But angels are, n- are, angels are not embodied spirits. Or however, whatever phrase you want to use. It can be a bit... The reason I used that phrase to describe us was to sort of help to sort of get you to think freshly about this thing and understand that, that, that to have a spirit, or to be, it's not this thing that's out there. Um, it's not unfamiliar. We just often don't think about it in that way. But angels themselves are spirits. That's how the Bible describes them in the Hebrews. I think it's either the first or second chapter. Yeah. How do you differentiate between the Holy Spirit moving you in a direction and your own ideas? That's a brilliant brilliant question to ask and I think it can create at times you know confusion and sometimes even um, emotional kind of "Ah, I don't want to get this wrong what I would say is this is that the idea with being a Christian is that God gets hold of your life and then through the work of his spirit and you partnering with him in that over time he makes you more and more like Jesus And so increasingly you just kind of know him better you're becoming more and more like him and I guess in a sense, those things that you want to do just more and more naturally line up with what he wants anyway. And it's, it's, you don't always have this crisis moment, Lord, is it, is it you or me? You know, I think sometimes we can get into this thing where we kind of have this thing where, where this idea that we're always going to be this me that wants to go in the opposite direction from God. And I do think we have those moments. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before the cross, really didn't want to go to the cross. It's in, 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 in his human sense, he was dreading it. And so he's saying, Lord, I, I don't, if there's another way... Show me, and yet not my will, yours be done. We do have those moments in the Christian life, but I don't think we have them daily. 
And if we do, I think we're going down a strange road. I think more and more we, just, we, we, we learn to enjoy and delight in living righteously, living purely, leaving behind things that we know are foolish. And really the Bible is, our main, is the main way the Holy Spirit will teach you how he wants you to live. And so just learning to read through the Bible. I know it's such a big book, right? And you, I don't know where to start. Just start somewhere. Okay, there is better advice than that, but that's not bad advice. Get on with it. You know, I think sometimes you think you, you, any big book at school, a big text, but you think, well, just get on with it. Suddenly you're, you're getting through it. You know what I mean? I just think there's something about just getting on with it as, as just a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, where you think, okay, I'll get through this. this t- if you read three or four chapters a day um, between now and next new day, when you arrive next new day, you would have read the whole book and some. So I just think, just learn what the Bible teaches and, and let the Lord teach you through that. Yeah, so it's quite, in some ways, I wouldn't want it to be like a crisis. There are those moments, but the normal thing is just, I want to do what Jesus wants me to do and he'll show me. Yeah, you have a new nature if you're born again. It's, you want to you please him. It's what you know, most naturally want to do. It's not sin, but please the Lord. So, other question, Yes. Yeah, so why is it that some people seem more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than others? And that can cause all kinds of difficulties. You know, why, why isn't the Holy Spirit touching me in this way? I mean, we touched on this a little bit yesterday. I will say it's important because many of you are here for the first time today. So I help, I'll say it freshly. Sorry for those of you that were here yesterday. I think we can have a very, very narrow view of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I.e. either shaking or something dramatic. Whereas I do think that the Holy Spirit... Um, wants to be involved in our lives in, a, in such a broader way than simply that stuff. And I know people who really know God closely, really walk with him closely. They've never shake, shaken, rattled or rolled. You know, they're just, they just know the Lord. And they're using the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their life and in their church to serve, um, to serve and encourage others. And they're becoming more like Jesus, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness faithfulness, self-control, are being, are being grown in their lives by the Holy Spirit, it's all good. And I think we can really get mixed up if we sort of look to various things that people do when they're being filled with the Holy Spirit and saying, why isn't that happening to me? That is so secondary. What is primary is a relationship with God. And what happens physically is very, very secondary to that. So I hope that helps. Yeah, okay. Yes, mate. Yes, yeah, so when we get to heaven, so the Bible says that when we are in the new heavens and in the new earth, clothed within our new body, that we will see him face to face. So we'll be fitted out, if you like, to be able to see him and not just cope with that, but for it to be like the absolute climax of our whole existence. And so absolutely, yeah, um, right now, um, to see God's face in that sense as we are put together would simply be too much for us. But when we are glorified, and all the, you know, we've been fitted out for eternity. Uh, we, we're going to be, uh, Andrew said, it's just a coming together. It's going to be the most natural, glorious union, ecstasy beyond what you can ever imagine. Yes. One more question. Then we'll do number two. Orange top. Who do you speak to when you pray? The Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Yeah? Okay. So I would say if you read the Bible, what ten, particularly the New Testament, where the, the understanding of the Trinity becomes more and more developed and, 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 and laid out, what you see is that um, most prayer probably seems to be directed to the Father. Um, but, but Jesus, after he is risen from the dead and returned to heaven, is prayed to. 
you find that in the book of Acts in chapter 9, a man called Ananias prays directly to Jesus and Stephen, just before he, is, he dies, after being um, people throwing stones at him, he says, Jesus, receive my spirit. So it's, 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 it's totally fine to pray to Jesus. And the New Testament talks about communion or fellowship with the Holy Spirit, which must involve talking. So we are completely uh, permitted, allowed. We've been we, the holy, the, the holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit have opened up their communion, their family, their life, the life of God to us to fully, fully enjoy. But the more familiar we become with the Bible, probably the more our praying will reflect certain emphases that you find in the Bible. But you haven't got to worry that you're going to set a foot wrong. You know, if you pray f- uh, from a sincere heart through faith in Christ, uh, you're good. Okay, right, teaching point number two. You ready for some more teaching now? Cool. Better find out what my point is because I can't remember. Uh, right, okay, so the second teaching slots that I do during this seminar are kind of things, to, things that would help you prepare yourself to, to know the Spirit closely, to walk with Him. Yesterday we looked at repentance. If you weren't here, I think all these talks get recorded. You can find it online. Really, really important learning about what repentance is and isn't. Uh, but today we're going to look at faith. It's really, really important. People often wait for some kind of experience with God and then they'll say, now I, now I believe the Holy Spirit cares for me or, or knows me. But that's not how faith works. Faith takes God at his word and is fully convinced simply because of the fact that God has said it or promised something. And, and faith, faith is able to take what God has said and pull it right into a place where you're at such confidence that you just, you, 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 I don't know how to describe it other than you, you begin to walk into every, the reality of all that God has promised through that faith. Let me give an example. Me and my family sitting around the table. The kids say, Dad, where are we going to go on holiday this year? Right? If I was to say Hawaii, they would go nuts. They would be like, you know, I mean, my youngest particularly is kind of very excitable. She would be running around the house screaming. My eldest would probably look at me and go, seriously? You know, and, 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 and my middle child, he'll, he'll probably be like, this is so cool. At that point, none of them have touched Hawaii. None of them have touched. They've not seen any tickets. What, what's happened? Dad said, we're going to Hawaii. And they believe it. But it's just, they, really, they, but look at what's, look at their expectation look at their excitement look they're almost starting to taste hawaii based on what they trust they trust what i say that's how faith works what has he promised what has he promised well let me give you a promise from the from the book of luke i mean this is i love this this is i think i referred to this a little bit yesterday but it's 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 a kind of jesus is very humorous and he uses humor brilliantly and uh, if you never find yourself laughing at jesus's sayings you've, you've probably got it a bit wrong um some of them aren't funny <laughs> some of them really are when he talks about people who strain out gnats and swallow camels that's funny or just to help you with that that's a funny picture okay you draw that you'll laugh okay so just to help you because people can get a bit weird around jesus and I mean, you not laugh when you're supposed to right so listen to this uh, uh ask and it will be given to you S- seek and you'll find knock 
and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. This is extraordinary. But, but read on. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, when instead of a, fi- of a fish, give him a serpent? That's kind of a wicked humor, you know? Kind of a, you know, it's kind of like, that's extreme. It's like, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. But you kind of want to laugh, but it feels a bit naughty. Okay, that's the idea, all right? Or if you ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion, right? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That is extraordinary. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, the Holy, will your Father in Heaven, who isn't evil, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? There's a promise there, right? We're sitting around the table. We've just said, Dad, where are we going on holiday? We've just said, Dad, will you give us the Holy Spirit? What does he say? Right, some of you should be running around the house screaming. Some of you should be going, seriously? Others should be going, this is so cool. That, that is a more than appropriate response. Anything less than that is inappropriate. You are basically, you're basically just sort of, you're, you're not really giving the, the father the, the, uh, what he's due. You're basically saying, well, we'll see. If my kids were like that, yeah, we'll see. I'd be like, oh my goodness. How, how have I let them down in order for them to be responding like this? What, what have I done wrong in order for them to be going sneering or thinking? <laughs> or, or imagine if one of them said, well, Dad, you know, I know probably what's going to happen is you're going to take Mum and, and the other two guys. You probably won't take me. What would that do to my heart? I think, what, how, where, what has happened to get, I would be heartbroken. How many Christians do that? I'm sure the Holy Spirit, God Father, give the Holy Spirit to them and them it's not like i'm not that kind of person where does the bible talk about a kind of person jesus says it's about your father and his generosity think about what dads and mums do for their kids the sacrifices they make the ridiculous things they do to try and pull plans together think about it jesus says and you do that and you're evil which basically means you know you're kind of you're often actually quite selfish and you're often actually quite you know, I don't know, quite stingy. But look at the lengths you will go to. How much more? How much more? And so this teaching here should be bringing faith. You should be sitting there going, not, you should, well, you should be sitting there saying, oh, okay then, Holy Spirit's going to fill me. That's the, right, that's the right response. That's the right response. Whether that is dramatic or gradual, whether that is loud or quiet, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is that the Holy Spirit, the one who comes from the Father and the Son to bring the reality of the Father and the Son into your soul, has been sent to come and do that because of all that Jesus has done. This is for you. And faith is just really trusting that and believing that and not getting locked up in complicated things about that. Jesus said, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. You'll see the glory of God. And so I, I know that as I'm speaking right now, in the spirit, there's something of a battle going on. Because there will be arguments and thoughts flying in, not from God. And the aim of those thoughts is to get you to disqualify yourself or say, it's not going to happen for me, and all of that. Okay? God says, yes, it will. Yes, it will. But whatever you do, don't get hung up on what it's going to look like. 
And don't get hung up on will it be like that person. Listen, I treat my kids differently. Love them the same, but treat them differently. Why? Because I'm their dad. I know what they need. He will deal with you as his child. It's not like a job lot. Okay? He will deal with you as his child. He knows, the Spirit knows what you need right now. The Spirit knows what you're facing. Right? He knows you, maybe you need special comfort. Maybe you need special encouragement. Maybe you're in a fog of confusion. You need special clarity. Maybe you need power to really live this Christian life. He, kn- he knows what you need right now. And will you let him come to you, bringing the presence of your Father who knows you and loves you and gives you what you need? Faith does. Faith welcomes. Faith welcomes him. I will end on this, then we'll do some Q&A. The Bible teaches that we inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. So when God makes a promise, there is something that we are required to do in order to inherit that promise or experience the reality of it, and that's believe. And faith and patience basically means believe and keep believing. That's the key to the Christian life. Believe his promises, keep believing, you will increasingly experience the reality of all that he's promised coming into your life. Increasingly. You just come into it. But, but, but they don't, these promises don't just fall into your lap. If God makes a promise and you're, you're, you're there like saying, well, go on then, bring it about with a kind of a cynical attitude, or you're going, well, you can if you want, Lord, but it probably won't happen to me, with an unbelief attitude, well, y- well, yeah, you're right. But he's made you these promises that you might believe him and say, Lord, I'm saying, I'm saying you said, so I'm believing you. I'm saying you said, so I trust you, that you are, gonna, that you are not just going to touch me in little moments at Bible weeks, but you're going to come in and live in me forever. And many of you have this Spirit, Holy Spirit indwelling in you now. And so when, when you're asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, in one sense you might even say, it's not even like you're asking something from the outside to touch you. The Bible teaches that when you receive the Spirit, that he becomes in you like a well of living water. And so actually, it's almost like he who indwells you, when you're filled with him and go on being filled with him, it's like the, the well of the Spirit in you just continually flows. It's an infilling from the inside. So actually, that could be a really helpful illustration for some of you. You find that in John 4 and John 7, that language is used. You can read about that. There's a well of the Spirit in you, which is to bubble up and, and bubble out of you. So... You know, so the Bible uses different illustrations. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit falling on people. That tends to be talking about those who have never experienced that before. So the Spirit comes and falls on you. But then from that point, he sets up home in you and wants to keep filling you up from the inside. So there we go. There's some thoughts. Faith, believe God. Don't complicate it. Believe God. Basically ask yourself, do I believe God is... Uh, what, what is the one thing God can't do? Bible says one thing. Lie. There's only one thing you can't do. It's so great, isn't it, when you say there's only one thing you can't do, lie. <laughs> right? So I consider you to be truthful. I consider that you want to fill me, not because I'm good enough, but because of all that Jesus has done. Lord, I now welcome and receive your presence. And, and at that point, don't start looking for some kind of experience look to him just look to him draw near to him the bible says when you draw near to him he draws near to you draw near to him don't make it something unnecessarily i don't know what the word is unnecessarily out there draw near to him 
and let him do what he does. He's sovereign. Let him move freely in your life. Don't hold on to bits. Don't, because you can, you can kind of grieve and quench by holding. Don't do that. Don't be afraid. Trust him and let him, let him work. Okay, questions? Yes. Yeah, how do you get out of that negativity and cynicism? I think, I think it's probably a slightly different journey for everyone because there could be different things at the root of it. It could be like, you know, disappointments at the root of it. You've got to look at wh- why am I disappointed, what happened there, and, and work it through. It could be that um, you've never really, I don't know, how can I put it, you've never, that one has never really um, taken God that seriously, just kind of made, uh, come to loads of assumptions. There could be so many reasons why, but what I would say is this, give attention to why. Give attention to why. I said a lot yesterday, and I'll say it again today because many of you weren't here. Have people in your life at least 10 years older in the Lord than you for counsel. Do not just go to your peers for counsel. That is not wise. Have people at least 10 years older in the Lord than you. More spiritual maturity. And then you can have those kinds of conversations where you say, it feels a bit like this. Can you help me? And they'll have spiritual discernment that will be able to help you to just work it through. And I just think to give attention. If you, if you recognize there are certain elements about you, you think that needs attention, give it attention. Don't rush. Don't think, you know, I don't know. But there's going to be a, a moment now, but I've got to give this attention. But listen, 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 listen. Wouldn't it be awful if God was like, well, look, you know, you had your moment in, in the shed. Uh, you know, you just weren't in that place, so forget it. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? What, imagine that. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if, like, it's just like me again as a father saying to the kids, I don't know, like, do you know what? Um, for next week, just gonna, we're going to just do treats every day, you know. Uh, and, then, and then one of the kids accidentally wasn't in the room at the time, didn't hear about it. And I say, hey, Dad, I heard there's going to be treats. And I say, no, you weren't in the room when I said it. Forget it, you know. No. What? It's just awful. So I'm just, don't panic. This is just, we can make space to meet with God here, and we will do in just a moment. But, you know, you can meet with God just as powerfully in your tent, out in the field, wherever you are. We don't want to create a, a, weird, a weird way of thinking, do we? Um, it's definitely not mine and Stu's and the ministry teams. We don't mediate between you and God. Jesus does. Jesus is the mediator. Let's draw near to God. He'll draw near to you through Jesus. It's great to have others around to pray and be helpful, but... You know, don't be looking to experts to make it happen. Look to God. Look to God. Any other questions? Maybe two more questions, three more questions. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. If God's given you some kind of personal promise and you really want to be excited about it, but you don't want to end up worshipping that thing rather than him, himself. I guess, I guess that's probably something all of us would, can really relate to, that sort of scenario. I guess you just have to sort of constantly be um, allow, teaching yourself to really pursue what God has said, but in another sense to hold it lightly, um, which is quite a discipline, but it's important to do that. And also to just build into your life the habit of treasuring him. I think the more that you just learn to treasure him, the more you realize actually that the really exciting thing about God fulfilling a promise is actually not the thing itself. It's actually God. You said you were going to do that, and you've done it. Wow. 
I love walking with you. Do you, do you know what I mean? So I actually, it's just, it's just keep teaching your heart that the only thing that can actually really satisfy your soul is him. Even his fulfilled promises in and of themselves can't satisfy your soul. Only he can. And that's really important. I think those would be the key things I would say. Uh, Just on that, because I think it's such an important thing, I think we find it so difficult, actually, to keep worshipping God instead of the things that he gives us, that I think that's probably one of the reasons why sometimes God either takes things away or doesn't answer our prayers immediately. Because actually our hearts are inclined in such a way that we'll get so excited about the things that he gives us that we'll get more excited about them than we will about him. And one of the things that happens when we pray for something and it doesn't come to us immediately, is actually part of that is God at work in us, training our hearts to love him and not the thing that he's giving us. It's actually really important to know because one of the things that we all find difficult as believers is why doesn't God answer my prayers straight away when I pray them? And actually, this question is actually the answer to that question. Is The reason God doesn't always give us what we want immediately is because of our immaturity We'd get so excited about the things that he gives us that we we naturally actually tend to forget him. And so actually sometimes he withholds a blessing that he does want to give us, but he knows that it's like a, it's a toy we're not ready for. Uh, and so he waits. And in that waiting, as we keep going back to him, there's actually something that he does in our hearts that inclines our hearts towards worshipping him first and foremost and not just the thing. So as much as it's good to kind of try and train your heart and discipline your mind to keep focused on God, I think in the end we need God to do that for us. And he does that amazingly graciously in a way that we all find often quite painful. Uh, He does it. And that's one of the things I think that comes into this thing about we come, we might be really, we're praying, I really want to experience God. That's our prayer. But it may be that sometimes God's got a wisdom in delaying that because he wants us to actually love him and not just love the experience that we have of him. And that's actually part of the way that God matures us and teaches us, which is really important. I think you can trace all these things back to a kind and wise father. Mm. Even this thing, you know, there'll be times as a father where you just think, do you know what? I I know you well enough to know that if I gave you that right now, um, you're not going to really see, treat it in a way, do you know what I mean? So, um, but the whole time, none of that ever reflects God ever being unfaithful or disinterested it simply is wisdom which uh, uh, and then we have to be sometimes sulk a little bit and then get through it and realise he knows best so yeah okay we've probably got time for one more question yeah It's a brilliant question. That's a really helpful question. What does it mean to draw near? Because there's a promise in James chapter 4. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Um, and I think, that, I think that actually on one level it's about the way we live. It's about learning to walk and live with God. Not having God moments. There's nothing more tragic, I'll be honest with you. There's nothing more tragic than being in an, at an event like this. Um, and I'm not pointing fingers and I'm sure I'm you know, prone to this as well. But you know... you. You have your you have a God moment, and then you're outside of the meeting, and sometimes you just see the way people relate to each other, or the things they say or do, and your heart breaks because you think, well, what happened? Why? Oh, what's that? That tent? God doesn't God doesn't want 
God wants us to live with him, to walk with him. Do you know what I mean? To, and so I think it's about, if it's about the way I talk to you and you talk to me is drawing near to God. It's about, it's about what, what, what we do as a family with our finances is about drawing near to God. Um, it's about what kind of neighbor I am is drawing near to God. I think in a setting like this, if we're going to have some time of prayer now, it's probably just, it's about in your heart, honestly, um, how can I put it? The word intimacy is quite a helpful little word play. Into me see. It's about letting God really see what's going on in your heart, keeping nothing back. God loves truthfulness. God loves honesty. You know, if you're ever in a relationship with someone who lies or is deceptive, you don't know how to build a friendship, do you? You think, ah, I don't know, how, I don't know what to do here, because you don't know if, if 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 there's a you're struggling in your heart to feel is this truthful? God's the same. God, God is looking for just honesty and truthfulness and he can build relationship from there through Christ only through Christ is the key but if we are being tricksy or not you know just pretending or whatever the spirit of God cannot um, come and work with that you, you're gonna ha- you have to just drop that as repentance yesterday so I think just it's just saying God here I am and uh, I'm, I'm actually going to lay my agenda down and I, I just do want to know you better and better. And whatever you, as my wise father, want to do in my heart and life today, in this moment, in this next 15 minutes, I just want to say, have your way. I, I welcome you. That, w- that would be drawing near to God in the next 15 minutes. Does that make sense? Okay, but it's obviously a lot broader than that. Okay, so we're going to have some time praying.